I'm excited to be in James. James is a super practical letter where we get to look at what it actually looks like to follow Jesus, what faith lived out really looks like. And so far, uh, we've gotten to talk about uh, being steadfast in trials, what should happen when trials come that's supposed to produce maturity in us, that when trials come, where we're supposed to go to for wisdom, we're supposed to go to the Lord and ask the Lord for wisdom, and he generously gives it. Uh, and then we talked about uh, the trial of prosperity and the trial of poverty. And so that's kind of where we've been. We've been slowly walking through it. Uh, and this morning, uh, we're going to talk about temptation. You guys not excited to talk about sin and temptation? It's going to be fun. Uh, but here's what I do want to be upfront with. We don't have a ton of time to get into the very specifics of how do we practically fight sin and temptation. So I'm going to have the QR code just get thrown up there just quickly again. If you are interested in learning more, how do we practically fight sin? How do we practically deal with temptation? Quickly scan the QR code. Uh, come to our deeper dives that are being hosted down in Cedar Rapids uh, next Sunday and next Monday. Uh, it would be a great time uh, for guys on Sundays, women on Mondays. Great time to really talk through specifically what does it look like to fight temptation as guys? What does it look like to fight temptation as ladies? And that's really what we're going to be doing. So if you want to get really practical, get some tools in your tool belt, come to the deeper dive uh, next week. It'll be a great opportunity to do that. It's also just a great opportunity to build connection and community with one another. And so we want to make sure that we do that as well. So that's where we're going to be going next week, fighting temptation at our deeper dives. Uh, but this morning, we're going to talk a little bit at a higher level about temptation and how do we get through it? Because up to this point, we've talked about uh, trials. We've talked about how we're supposed to count it all joy when we go through trials of various kinds. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when you get into the midst of trials, that whole counting it all joy seems pretty challenging, right? Like you're going through something hard and you're like, I'm supposed to count this joy? Like this is really hard. And then when you get going a little bit more, you're like, man, is this even worth it? Where you can be going through life and a trial hits, something hard comes up and you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know if this is even going to be worth me like continuing to follow Jesus the way that I know I'm supposed to. I don't know if me enduring is actually going to be worth it. Uh, we went glamping as a family last weekend. For those of you who don't know what glamping is, it's like camping, but when you have toddlers, you realize you need running water. And so uh, we went glamping down at the Palisades, got a little cabin down there, and we go hiking in the morning. So we wake up, we eat breakfast, we go for a hike, and we go a little ways, and then we're on our way back, and our three-year-old, she's starting to lag behind a little bit. She's lagging behind the rest of us, and so I get back there, and I'm like, come on, girl, you can do it. Let's keep going. And she just looks at me. She's like, but dad, I'm so little. And it was, it was adorable. Like the cutest thing ever. Uh, but essentially what she was saying is like, dad, is this even worth it? Like, I'm so small. This is hard. I can't keep going. Like, is it worth it? And then I told her, I was like, well, we're eating lunch when we get back. And so then she, she bust into high gear. It worked pretty well at that point. Uh, she's highly food motivated, just like me, like father, like daughter, I guess. But that's where we were at. And she was like, dad, is this worth it? And we can be that way when it comes to trial and temptation too, to where we can be going through something hard, life gets challenging. And we're just like, man, God, is this worth it? Like, is it worth it to stay like loyal to how I'm supposed to be living? Is it worth enduring? Is it worth persevering? persevering and remaining steadfast, like you say. Uh, and what we're going to see in, in our passage this morning is James is really going to show us why it's worth it. 
He's going to hold up what happens when we persevere, what happens when we remain steadfast, what's the result of that, and then what's the result if we don't? Like, what happens if we don't remain steadfast? What happens when we don't endure the way that we are called to? And so we're actually going to start on the back end. We're going to look at what happens when we don't remain steadfast. What happens when we don't persevere in trials? And then we'll loop back around to the good news at the end, but we got to bear through some of, uh, some of the bad news that James is talking about. So we're going to start in James chapter one, starting in verse 13. It says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Like, this is what we see happens. Like, this is the alternative to being steadfast. And it is a road that ultimately leads to sin and death. And in verse 15, James uses a metaphor of childbirth uh, to talk about this progression uh, that goes from temptation to sin and death. And uh, what ultimately happens is he says that when sin, when it fully grows and it's allowed to fully develop, it will lead to death. And this isn't the first time we see death as the result of sin. Paul uses it in his letter to the Romans. In Romans 6, 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he's saying sin does lead to death. Like Paul was saying it, James is saying it here. Sin will ultimately lead you to death. And the idea he's getting at here is that sin, when it is fully grown, You get this idea of like sin when it's allowed to get to maturity. That's when it brings forth death. And so if you're a Christian in the room, I do want to be really clear. Like death isn't your end. Like you will die physically someday, but spiritual death isn't your end. He's not talking to Christians saying, hey, you will die spiritually. But the flip side of that is if Christians, you don't die spiritually because you also don't allow sin to fully grow. You don't allow sin in your life to fully mature. One of the marks of a Christian is repentance and confession. And the way that we keep sin from growing into maturity as a follower of Jesus is we confess our sin and we repent of our sin. So sin in the Christian never gets allowed to fully grow into maturity leading to death. Sin will result in our confession and our repentance to keep it from growing in that way. But what James is saying here is that sin, when it is allowed to continue to grow, when you feed it, like when, when you feed a kid, they turn into a teenager, they get grown and big. He's saying when you feed sin, it will lead to death. That's what it's going to bring forth. And so maybe for some of you guys in this room, you need to just sit in that for a moment. That sin, when it goes unrepentant, when it is allowed to continue to grow, when you're feeding it over and over and over again, man, you got to be careful because scripture is clear what happens when sin fully grows. So if you're a Christian in the room and you're struggling and maybe not even struggling, but you're just giving into a lifestyle of sin and there's no confession and repentance, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would bring you to a repentance, that you would taste and see the kindness of God. And the, God's word says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance, that you would experience his kindness in a way that leads you to repent of your sin. Maybe if you don't know Jesus, like know that what your sin gets you is death, but what Jesus has offered you is life. So repent, turn away from your sin, turn to the God who could save you from it. 
Do not let your sin continue to grow and grow and grow. Don't feed it over and over again. Because James says that leads to death. But we see that the progression doesn't start with death. Like, and it doesn't even start with sin. There has to be something that comes before sin that leads to death. And that's temptation. Someone say temptation. Okay, we, let's pause for a moment. I need a little more participation from y'all. You okay with that? Someone say temptation. There it is. Love it. All right. Temptation is, or the enticement to do wrong or evil. And what we see happen is James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So when temptation is conceived or when temptation, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so when this enticement to do wrong or evil comes up, that is temptation. That's where this progression really starts is with temptation. Before we go further, we do want to make note that like temptation itself isn't sin. Like the desire, like the temptation to do wrong, the temptation to go against God's plan, that's not actually sin. We see in scripture that Jesus himself was tempted, right? And did Jesus sin? No, Jesus was perfect. So temptation itself isn't sin because we see that Jesus was tempted and yet he was without sin. And so temptation, when you're tempted, don't be discouraged so quickly. Like just noticing temptation is not mean that you're giving in to sin. It shows that you're a sinner, yes, but it doesn't mean that you're giving in to sin. So don't be so quickly discouraged when you face temptation, temptation, but do be on guard. Do be on guard because temptation, when you allow those lingering thoughts to keep lingering, when you allow those tempting thoughts to really take root, and you start to feed that temptation, that's when we start to see sin being birthed and sin continuing to grow. And so don't lose heart when you're tempted because temptation isn't sin, but it is the start of the path that leads to sin. And so if that's where it starts, James is going to tell us where temptation comes from. Because we as a church, we want to be equipped to fight temptation. Part of being equipped is to know where does temptation even come from. And he starts uh, by telling us where temptation doesn't come from. So look closer at verse 13. He's going to tell us where temptation does not come from. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So he starts off talking about temptation, where it comes from, by telling us where it doesn't come from. Why do you think he does that? Because we're so quick to blame other people for our sin and temptation, right? Like any parents in the room? Any parents? A few of you? You guys know how true this is, right? Your kids, especially when they're toddlers, are so good at blaming other people for their sin. So good at blaming other people for their temptation. Uh, we have four kids. Three of them are experts at this. Uh, one of them is not because he can't talk yet, but he will be someday. Like at our house, the current one is, why did you hit your brother? He was looking at me. It's like, really? He was looking at you? But like, she's already blaming her sin, her temptation to do wrong on someone else. And this isn't new to us. Like this isn't new to my kids. Like I do the same thing. I get angry and I start to lose my temper and lose my patience. And it's like, well, if my kids would just do the right thing or actually listen for once, maybe I wouldn't get so worked up. And, but it's not even just new to us. Like, you can trace it all the way back to the beginning. Like, the first time sin enters the world, we see blame being casted. 
Look at Genesis chapter 3. We're only going to look at this for a second. But at this point, Adam and Eve had sinned. They'd gone against God's good design. They'd eaten of the fruit of the tree, which they were told not to. And this is what we see happens. Starting in verse 8 of chapter 3, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave, with, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Like even the very first time sin comes around, they knew they do something wrong and they immediately start casting blame. Adam is like, well, actually, God, it's that woman. Like she's the one who gave me the fruit. And actually, God, you made her. So this is actually kind of your fault if you think about it. Just using some logic here. And the woman's like, well, God, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me. Then I ate it. And I kind of wonder if she had the same sort of mentality that uh, Adam did. It's like, and actually, God, you made the serpent. So whose fault is this really? And we see even from the beginning that they're casting the blame of temptation and sin on someone else. And ultimately, they're blaming God. They're saying, God, if you wouldn't have even put that tree there, if you wouldn't have made that fruit look good, if you wouldn't have put this woman here, If you wouldn't have put the serpent here, like none of this would have happened. See, we all have the tendency to blame other people or even blame God for the temptations that we have to sin in our sin itself. Like we say, man, I wouldn't have overeaten, but God, you made that food so good. Like, why wouldn't I overeat? It's like, oh, I wouldn't get angry so much, but man, my kids, they're just a, they're just a handful. Or I'd, I wouldn't get drunk, but man, my stress is just through the roof because of work. It's really the job that you gave me, God, that is leading to my drinking. And we start to blame our sin and our temptation to sin on God. And what James is saying here in verse 13, he's saying, hey, you can't do that. Like sin and temptation, that doesn't come from God. You can't blame him for your desire to do evil. And you can't blame him for your doing of evil. It's not him. And he gives us the reason why it's not him. He says, uh, let no one say when he is being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. And this is why he says, for or because God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Saying you can't blame God because God can't be tempted and he tempts no one. Now that might cause you to pause for a second because you're like, well, didn't we just talk about Jesus being tempted? Yeah. Was Jesus God? Yeah. So what do we do with that? Like if Jesus is God and Jesus was tempted, like how do we make sense of that? It's like, well, Jesus may have actually gone through temptation. But what I think James is pointing out is that temptation actually wasn't even tempting to Jesus. Like when Jesus was led away into the wilderness, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And you could say, well, isn't that God leading him to temptation? And it's like, no, that's God like getting ready to test him, test his faith, test his obedience. It's actually Satan, the one that was doing the tempting of Jesus. Same way with Job, it was Satan doing the testing of, or Satan doing the tempting of Job. And so it's like, well, God didn't, wasn't the actual one tempting there. But what do we, how do we handle Jesus in that temptation? Satan, that 
Jesus was physically tempted by Satan, but what Satan was trying to tempt him with wasn't actually tempting to him. That Jesus didn't actually want to fulfill desires in the way that Satan was trying to get him to fulfill those. Uh, I, I saw a Facebook reel which actually explained this really well uh, to me. This is how I think my, our phones are listening to us at all times because it was during study and then I randomly just see this Facebook reel. Uh, but here's what happens is this guy is pretending uh, to be Satan and Jesus and he's kind of practicing out what this temptation of Jesus looked like. And so it starts off like this and the guy's like, Bow to me. He's pretending to be Satan. Bow to me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And that pans over to Jesus, and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, uh, I'm, I'm tempting you. And Jesus is like, with my own stuff? <laughs> like, that's how I'm assuming it goes, is that Satan is trying to tempt Jesus. He's trying to say, hey, give into this. Like, do these things, and I will give you this. It will satisfy you in this way. And Jesus is like, you're trying to tempt me with my own things? It doesn't work that way. Jesus is untemptable. Like he, he was physically tempted by Satan, but the temptation he was tempted with was not desirable to him at all. That's what James is saying. That no one can tempt God. They can try, but it's not actually tempting. Because what we see here is that God is so perfect, holy, blameless, and pure that evil does not entice him at all in the slightest. Evil has no appeal to him. And because evil doesn't appeal to him because of who he is, he doesn't tempt anyone. He, uh, evil isn't appealing to him, and he doesn't want anyone to be appealed by evil. Like, he doesn't want anyone to be enticed by evil. And so he doesn't lead people to temptation. Now, now don't mistake this for God will not test you. Because he will. We've seen that already, right? We see that in the opening words of James. says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. And the purpose of these trials are to mature you. Purpose of these trials are to produce your steadfastness. To produce a maturity in your faith. And so God won't tempt you, but he will try you. It's actually really interesting when you look at James 1, when you see trial in verse 2, like when you look at verse 2 and you see trial, then you see it again in verse 12, but then you see the word temptation in verses 13 and 14. Those are actually the same Greek word. So the word trial is the same word in the Greek that it was initially written in as the word temptation. And it's really interesting because what J James is doing is he's saying God will try you. He will test you, but he's not going to tempt you. Like the Greek word is para. Say para. Everyone, come on now. Para. Para. That means trial or testing or tempting. And when James refers to it on the positive side, like trial, he's saying, hey, God will try you. He will para you for your benefit with the intended purpose of producing maturity in you, with the intended purpose of producing steadfastness. He will test you to produce good in you, but he's not going to tempt you. He's not going to pay right you with a negative intent. He's not going to try you with a negative intent to entice you into sin. So he might try you with a good intent, but he's never going to tempt you with a negative intent. That would go against who God is. It would go against his character. He's saying, that's not who God is. God does not tempt you. He will try you, but he won't tempt you. He is for your good, not for your destruction. And so if you're a Christian in the room and you're going through a hard time, 
you're going through a challenging situation right now, that very well might be from God. But it's from God to test you, to produce endurance in you, to produce steadfastness in you, to mature you, to make you more conformed into the image of Jesus. So if you're going through something difficult and challenging right now, that can be from God to produce something good in you. But tempting, your temptation to do wrong, your temptation to satisfy your desires with sin, that will never be from God. Because that would go against all of his character. And so he says, when you're tempted, don't blame God. Don't say you're being tempted by him. And then he says where you should look to, where you should blame. Says this in verse 14, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Tempted when you're lured and enticed by your own desire. So where does the temptation to sin come from? It comes from us. It comes from within. And James is using another metaphor. In verse 15, he uses a childbirthing metaphor. Verse 14, he's using a fishing metaphor. How many of you guys are fishermen, fisherwomen? Any of you? Come, a few of you? All right. So uh, I have caught five total fish in my life. So I'm very, uh, I have the authority to speak on this topic. Okay. So uh, this is what James is saying. He's saying what happens is, uh, just like fishing, you would take bait, and when I go fishing, uh, the five times I've caught a fish, I've taken bait, and I've put it on the end of the little string thing, right? That's, is that what's called string thing? Yeah, something like that. So put the bait on the end of the little string thing, throw the string thing into the water, and just kind of like let the, the bait kind of flop around in the water a little bit. And that my hope is that the bait on the end of my little string thing is going to entice the fish to come out of its safety, to lure the fish to my bait so that I can catch it. Is that how fishing works for those of you who fish? Yeah? Cool. I'm going to assume that's right. What James is saying is much like that, our sin, our desire pulls us out of safety, pulls us out of closeness with God, tries to lure us away from abiding in Jesus to get us to sin. But here's the crazy thing. When you fish, the bait is in the water. When you sin, the bait is inside of you. He's saying when you fish, the bait that attracts the fish is outside of the fish. But when you sin, the bait for your sin is actually your own evil desires that are already inside of you. The bait's not out there. The bait is in here. Like when you're tempted to sin, it's not just because of the world is messed up. It's because you're messed up. It's because you have sin. You have sinful desires that lead you into that. And what James is doing here is he's wanting you to start taking responsibility for the sin and temptation in your life. He's saying you're so quick to blame God. You're so quick to blame other people for the sin and temptation in your life. But that's not the problem. The problem is you. You need to take responsibility for it. And so, actually, let's practice that as a church this morning. I think it would be good for us to practice that. Repeat after me. It's me. Everyone's got to play. Come on. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah, you know, Taylor Swift was right on that one, wasn't she? But it, it, it's true. We're the problem. The problem isn't out there. Our problem of sin isn't out in the world. Our problem with sin is inside of us. We're the problem. We're the issue. 
We're the reason why we think bad thoughts. We're the reason we do bad things. We're the reason we're enticed by sinful stuff. It's not out there. It's us. Like you're angry, not because your kids make you angry, but because you're a sinner. It's not your kid's fault you're angry. It's your fault. It's not your boss's fault that you worry and you're stressed. It's your fault. It's not the world's fault that you get drunk all the time. It's yours. It's not your spouse's fault that you lust. It's your fault. James is making it clear that temptation to do evil comes from within you, comes from within me, that we are lured and enticed by our own evil desires to do wrong. And Paul says something pretty similar in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse uh, 15. We'll go through verse 20. It says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul is saying, hey, the sin that you are led to do, the evil desires that you have, is because you have a sinful flesh within you that is trying to satisfy the desires that you have in a sinful way. They could even be good desires, like desire for food. The desire for food is not a bad thing. That is how you are alive. But when sin grabs a hold of it, when your sinful flesh grabs a hold of it, and tries to convince you that you can satisfy desires with overeating and gluttony, That's sin. So our sinful flesh, it takes these desires that we have and it warps them and it twists them and says, you can satisfy this desire if you do this. And our flesh, it leads us into sin. You see, the path to death starts within you. It's not anyone else's fault that you're tempted into sin, that you give into sin. It's yours. James is saying all, this entire path that we see ends in death. It, it comes from within you and the sin that you have. So James is giving us this negative side of trial, temptation. And he's saying what happens when we give in to temptation is that we sin. And what happens when we continue to feed sin and sin is allowed to continue to grow in our life, it leads to death. And so what's, what's our key to get through temptation? What's our key to get through sin like this? Like, how do we remain steadfast? When we loop back to verse 12, James gives us this key to what it looks like to remain steadfast in the midst of sin and temptation. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Because there's an alternative to the death caused by sin. And it's life with God. It's blessing. And we'll get to the blessing here in a minute. But there is an alternative to the death and it's blessing. I do want to highlight who receives this blessing. Because that's going to be a really key thing for us to focus on is who, like, who is this blessing for? Look at verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Underline steadfast under trial. 
And then it ends with, which God has promised to those who love him. Underline those who love him. James is saying, you want to receive the blessing instead of death? It's reserved for those who remain steadfast under trial and those who love God. And these aren't two like separate qualities, right? They're the same quality, just kind of played out differently. He's saying, hey, if you remain steadfast under trial, it's because you love God. And if you love God, it's going to get played out in remaining steadfast under trial. And what James is really doing through this entire letter is he's telling them, hey, this is what your faith lived out looks like. This is what practical faith looks like. And what he's doing in this verse is he's specifically saying what love looks like played out. What practical love for God looks like in its steadfastness in trial. And so what he's saying is, hey, you want to get through temptation? You want to remain steadfast in trial? You need to grow your love for God. Because that's ultimately where it's getting at. It's like, hey, those who remain steadfast in trial are those who love God. And so if we want to remain steadfast, we have to grow in our love for God. Because ultimately when you think about it, you don't just have a sin problem. You have a love problem. Like you, you just love the wrong thing. Like you don't have a greed problem at the heart of it. You have a love problem. You love money more than you love God. You don't have a lust problem. You have a love problem. You desire to satisfy the sexual desires in a lustful, sinful way. You love that more than you love God. You don't have an anger issue. You have a love issue. Like ultimately when we get to the core of all of our sin is it comes from us loving our sin more than loving God. What James is saying here is you want to remain steadfast under trial. You want to beat temptation. You have to grow in your love for God. And ultimately it's the love of God that allows us to get through all those things. First off, it's the love of God that allows us to beat death because he sent Jesus so we didn't have to die. And so we have a love for God because God first loved us. And then as love for God is developed in us but through him, we are able to start to fight sin and temptation more. So that when trials come, like the key to remain steadfast when trials come is to lovingly trust God. Saying, I love God because I know that he loves me. And I trust him no matter what is happening, that he is good. Like that's how you stay steadfast when trials come. It's like, man, I just love God enough to know that this is ultimately for my good. And then when temptation rears its head, pokes up at you, an evil desire starts to kind of entice you and wants to pull you away. The way we get through temptation is a greater love for God. We see the thing that tempts us, the sin that is enticing to us, and we put it up against the love of God and be like, no, I love God more. I love God more than this lust. I love God more than this money. I love God more than this anger. I love God more than satisfying my desires in this sinful way. The way we get through temptation and beat temptation is by growing in our love for God and seeing God as greater than anything else that can satisfy here on earth. And then when sin does happen, when temptation has conceived and gives birth to sin, the way that we keep sin from leading to death is by loving God. That we love God so much that we quickly confess and we quickly repent because we don't want the death that sin offers. We want the life that God offers. 
So we beat temptation, we beat sin, we beat death, not by our own strength, not just by trying harder, not just by rolling up our sleeves, but by loving God. And we need to grow in our love for God. So church, how is your love for God doing? Like, are you fostering a love for God in the way that you live? Are you trying to grow and build a love for Jesus? You see, it's a love for God that gets, out, that gets lived out in steadfastness and trial that keeps us from temptation, sin, and ultimately death. We need to be people growing in our love for God. And, and James gives us a really compelling reason why. Look at what happens in verse 12. It says, blessed is the man. So we know blessing is coming for those who love God, for those who remain steadfast. And then we see what the blessing is. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. You can actually translate the crown, which is life. He's saying, you want to know the reason why you should remain steadfast? Like we asked at the beginning, like, is this worth it? Is staying steadfast worth it? And James is saying, yeah, because you get the crown of life. You get the crown, which is life, which is life with God now and forever. Like it's worth it. Like it's worth it to remain steadfast because you get God himself. This language of getting a crown to the original audience would have brought up the picture of like the winner of an athletic competition. Athletes back then, when they won, they would get this uh, crown, this uh, leaf crown that they would just be crowned the winner. And so when they're, uh, when they are practicing, when they're training, and when they're competing, the athlete would just have the picture of that crown in mind saying, this is what I'm going for. This is the reason I'm working so hard. This is the reason I'm trying. This is the reason I'm competing because I have a crown waiting for me if I win. What James is saying here is that likewise, that should be what motivates us. But if an athlete is that motivated by just winning a competition, how much more than should we be motivated by being with God? How much greater is the gift of eternity than a little crown made of leaves? It's so much greater that we get God in the end. There's nothing more that should motivate us than that. Our life with God in eternity is the motivation for us living faithfully here. Like when you're tempted to sin, compare the sin that you're tempted with to the eternal crown waiting for you. Like that's how you fight sin. That's how you fight temptation. That's how you get through all of that. Not just by trying harder, but by loving God in a way, by staying focused on life with him in eternity. Because at the heart of how to beat temptation and avoid the death caused by sin is a heart that loves God more than sin and a heart that keeps in view the crown of life, which is waiting for those who endure. Or you could say it like this. Fight temptation with love for God and a focus on life with God. Fight temptation with a love for God and a focus on life with God. So how do we make that a reality? How do we make that a reality in our life? Just let's break it down. Let's break down that statement just into three parts. First is fight sin or fight temptation. As Christians, our call is to fight. There is a fighting that has to go on if we are going to beat temptation. 
And so if you want more information on fighting temptation, like I said, we don't have a ton of time to get into the practicalities of that. Come to our deeper dive. Seriously, like there might be no better use of a Sunday night and Monday night you have this semester than learning how to fight temptation and sin well. Because we're all confronted with it on a daily basis. And we want to be well equipped to fight temptation and sin well. So come next Sunday, come next Monday to our deeper dives uh, at our Cedar Rapids location so that we can be well equipped to fight sin and temptation well. So we want to be people who fight temptation, but we want to do it in a way that comes out of a love for God. So church, we need to be people who grow in our love for God. Not just people who say that we know God, not just people who say that we love God, but people who are actively growing in our love for God. And that starts first and foremost by asking God for it. We see all throughout scripture that love for God is actually a gift from God. So let's be people who beg God for more of his love. God, give me the gift to love you more. Give me the gift to be able to see you as more desirable than anything else this world has to offer. It starts by you asking God for love for God. And then as you get through that, as you start asking him for more love for him, I want you guys each day this week, before you even get out of bed, I want you every single morning to just start reminding yourself of who God is. Remind yourself of how good he is, how gracious he is, how pure and holy and righteous and blameless he is. Remind yourself of who God is. And then as you remind yourself of who he is, remind yourself of what he has done for you, a sinner. And as you remind yourself of who he is and what he's done, that should stir up in you a desire to love him more, a desire to be closer to him, a desire to walk in obedience. And our growing in love for him can actually start in just reminding ourselves of who he is and what he has done. So grow in your love for God and then focus on your life with him. Like when trial comes and you're going to be tried, When temptation comes, you're going to be tempted. Don't focus on the temptation. Don't focus on the trial. But focus on your life with Jesus. Focus on eternity with him, that you get him forever. That when sin is tempting you, you'll be like, I don't care. Like, I get God. Like, how much better is that? Focus on your life with him now and in eternity. And that will fuel your fight of temptation, your love of God, and your future with him. And church, if this actually got lived out, man, it would change everything about us. Like we'd still be a church full of sinners. Like we're all sinners. It wouldn't change that. We'd still be a church full of sinners. But we'd be a church full of sinners who are not easily enticed by sin anymore. A church full of people where sin is just not as appealing to us as it once was. Because we have a greater love for God. That we've compared sin and temptation to the God who made us and loves us. And man, we're just not even enticed by that as much anymore. So will we still sin? Yeah. But not as regularly. Not as often. And our desire will be first and foremost for God above our sin. And that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of church I want us to be. People who are less enticed by sin because we have a greater love for God and a focus on our life with him. 
that sin just doesn't even tempt us near as much as it used to. Amen? Let's pray. God, help us to love you more. God, I want us to be a church that loves you more than any other thing on earth. That is satisfied only by you. That we have all been down the trail of temptation and sin. God, remind us of how futile that is. Remind us of how good you are. That we would know your goodness and that we desire closeness with you. So God, help us to be people who are not as enticed by sin. But be people who are growing in our love for you, growing in our dependence on you, and constantly looking to our future with you. So that we can live in obedience, so that we can be a steadfast people here on this earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.